passage, encouraging ministry of the Holy Spirit will land on this place now. That you will bring encouragement, hope, joy, security to all your people. And those who are outside of your kingdom, Lord, those who have yet to receive Jesus, we pray today will be the day of salvation. Today will be the day they become blameless in your sight. So would you anoint this time now with your Holy Spirit, we submit it to you and all who agreed said, amen. You may be seated. All right. So the way we're going to go about this today is phrase by phrase. Just a, There's no sophisticated outline. You'll see in your notes, just phrase by phrase, we're going to go through this. This is actually becoming one of my favorite ways to preach, just, just the old Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel way. You just go right through a passage, you just, you just uh, explain what it says. It's, it's right there, right? Okay, so if you're new to Living Hope, and I've met a number of new people today, it's encouraging to meet you and have you come. We have been in a study of the book of Jude. I don't know if you've ever heard a study of Jude, but... Uh, you're getting on the tail end of it and encourage you to go back if you miss some and listen to them. But it's basically a book where the church that Jude is writing to had been infiltrated with what I call spiritual COVID. <laughs> spiritual COVID had infected the church. And it had infected the church with uh, these germs called false teaching. Hello. And it had infiltrated the church with these germs called sexual immorality. Now, I know we don't have those problems today, but, you know, it was back then. And we'll try to make parallels. No, we do have that problem today. Hello? Hello? I'm telling you, I'm 61, walked with Jesus for over 45 years. I've never been more concerned about the church than I am right now. Okay? I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about churches that that have a sign out, that pretend to follow this Jesus, but yet they're catering to culture. Hello. They are giving in to teachings that might be culturally popular, but they're not biblical. And they're faced with the option, I'm either going to go with the Word of God, which was written as His truth, right? Or I'm going to go with what my culture says, what the Supreme Court says, what this senator says, what this uh, congressman says. Uh, are we going to go with God's Word or are we going to go with, with what the culture says? I mean, we've got churches today, that, well, I won't even go there. Uh, but you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, they're, they're flying a certain flag with certain colors on it. And they're, they're, they're believing things like universalism. Now listen, everybody is welcome here, okay? We would turn no one away that is here and sincerely, you know, so it's not about who you allow in your doors, but it is about what you preach, teach, and say is acceptable to God, okay? And God wrote this book, we didn't. And, and so these teachings and these practices had infiltrated the church of that day. There were, they were saying you could just commit sexual immorality because God's grace will cover that. It's not a big deal. They were teaching salvation, not through Jesus alone. They had skewed views about God, skewed views about what it meant to have eternal life. And so Jude is bringing correction to, to this church. And at first he warns them. Then he talks about how just as God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and just as God judged fallen angels, he's going to judge these people. But then it takes a turn in verse 20, and I just want to kind of remind us of this to kind of bring us to where we are today. So if you would, look at, at Jude 20, because what he says here is that the best defense against 
false teachings and immorality and false practices is a good offense. In other words, the best way to keep spiritual COVID off of you is to have a good immune system. <laughs> if you have a healthy body that can fight off germs, right, then you won't get spiritual COVID. You won't fall into these practices if you have a strong relationship with God and you're grounded in the truth and you're in a community of believers who are also going back to God's word as the final standard. And so in verse 20 is when he makes this shift. But you, beloved, okay, you're, you're beloved if you're in Christ today. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. In other words, be growing, be maturing, be advancing, praying in the Holy Spirit, pray in a way that's guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This could also include praying in tongues. We talked about that. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We talked about how that doesn't mean you keep God loving you by your good works, but you keep yourselves in his unconditional love by reminding yourself of it, walking in it. So it's keep yourselves in that love that you already have, not keep him loving you because he can't love you any more than he already does, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That leads to eternal life. So we should long for heaven. We should long for the return of Christ. Then verse 22, we talked last week about how do you minister to other people? You have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. We talked about the fire of eternal judgment last week and how evangelism partly is saving people from that final eternal judgment. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We should live holy, godly lives. Now, in light of that, this is so cool. So first there's these warnings. Then there's this, hey, have a good spiritual immune system to fight off those germs. And now he's going to conclude this book with an amazing promise that should give us all encouragement today, if you're a believer. It should give you that place of true security and hope because I'm going to tell you today, and this, if, you could get, if you only get one thing out of the message, I encourage you to get this. The more you focus on God, the more you're going to grow. The more you focus on God versus your problems and your shortcomings, the more your sanctification is going to go to a new level. Too many believers spend too much, amen, you can clap for that. Too many believers spend too much time focusing on their faults, their shortcomings, where they come short, and they are then become susceptible to shame and condemnation. If you will focus on God, if you will behold His glory, if you will focus on His amazing promises to keep you, it will advance your growth and sanctification. All right, and so that's what we're going to be encouraged by today. So get ready to be encouraged today. Say, I want to be encouraged. I receive encouragement. All right, now listen, if you're here and you've not received Christ, we are so glad you're here. And I hope you will see from today's message, man, I want to know that God. I want to experience that. Because you'll get to see what you will get in on if you receive Christ today. The rest of you who receive Christ, you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be motivated, and you're going to go out of this place so confident of your great God. So let's begin with that. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How many know God is able? <laughs> Ephesians says uh, he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Luke 1 and 37, with God nothing is impossible. Psalm 138.8, God is able, able to accomplish that which concerns me. Come on. He is 
able. He is powerful. He's the God who spoke the galaxies into existence. He's the God who parted the Red Sea. He's the God who brought the Passover blood. He's the God who became flesh in Jesus. He's the God who raised the dead. He's the God who healed the sick. That's our God. Now, this word able in the Greek is dunamai. William, what does that sound like, dunamai? Dynamite. Now, it's the verb form of the same word dunamis in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Ho-ho, this is good. God is powerful to keep you from stumbling because the God who is powerful lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Come on. The same word translated able here is the same word translated power in Acts 1.8 referring to the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer. God is able to do exceeding abundantly. God is able to keep you from stumbling because he lives in you. The God who parted the Red Sea is the God who lives inside of you if you're in Christ today. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit who's in me than the devil and all of his works that are in the world. And that can give you confidence for your growth and progress and to keep your spiritual immune system strong to overcome the germs and the things that come against you. Now then it says he is able to keep you. He's the keeper. Psalm 121, five times it says keeper. He's the keeper. He's the keeper of Israel. Keep means to watch out for, to guard, to look upon, to keep one's eye upon. He's watching over you. He sees you. He knows you because he lives inside of you. And you can't shake him out of you. You can't get rid of him because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Ephesians 1 and 13 says you are sealed until the day of redemption and you can't break that seal. When you're in Christ, he seals you, and nothing can break that seal. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 6, I lose none that the Father has given me. He said in John 10, come on, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Glory to God. Now, we can talk all day long about whether you can lose your salvation, and I will go at it with you, fist to cuffs. I mean, we'll go at it on that one. Because I believe with all my heart that you cannot break the seal that God put upon your life. Now, if you're not truly saved, that's a whole different story. And I can explain Hebrews 6 to you. We can have all day long on that because I know that's a difficult passage. But the Bible says when you are sealed, it's sealed until the day of redemption. You're secure. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. No one, no one, no one can snatch you out of his hand. And listen to this, Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will perfect it. Not might perfect it. Not if you're perfect all your life will perfect it. It says he will perfect the good work that he began in you. He'll bring it to completion because he's faithful and he lives inside of you. Hallelujah be to God. Then it says he will keep who? Who will he keep? Look at this next slide. You, <laughs> you, Leola, you, Ann, you, buddy. Yeah, come on, you, Steve, you, Stephanie, you, William. He will keep you. 
This is why when you go through Scripture, put your name in there. You read a verse like this, you meditate on it, you said, Now to him who is able to keep David Holt from stumbling and to make David Holt stand before his presence, blameless, with great joy. That'll, that'll bring it home. That's where you start percolating these truths from your head to your heart, and you start getting it in your getter. Come on. Some of you need to get this in your getter. It's where you take it from your mind to your heart. He will keep you. This is not a promise for just the super saints. It's for every believer, because every believer is a super saint. There's no rankings in the kingdom of God. He will keep you. Then it says he'll keep you from stumbling. Now, this was very reassuring to these believers. Had to be. They may have seen some of their friends kind of be led astray or drift. Were they truly saved? Well, it says if, if you don't endure to the end, you're not truly saved. That's just that's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. I believe it with all my heart. And so perhaps they had seen some of their friends drift and go away with these false teachers and be led astray. And they're thinking, man, do I have it within me to, to, to stay strong? Well, the bottom line, guess what? You don't have it in you, but you have one in you who is able. <laughs> and the better you focus on him, the more you're going to realize, hey, I don't have to worry about stumbling because I'm going to remain in Jesus. I'm going to stay steadfast. I'm going to stay connected to the Lord. I'm going to stay in the word. I'm going to continue to abide in him, and the one who lives in me is able to keep me from stumbling. He's going to keep me from falling. He's going to keep you from being led astray. Now, yes, there's a partnership. I get that. We'll talk about that in a minute. There is a partnership within this journey called sanctification. The verse that I love is Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, that's your part. It's not like we sit on our duffs and do nothing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But what's the next verse? Verse 13, Philippians 2. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we do our part, but we do it confident that the one living in me is going to give me the will and the power to do it. Hallelujah be to God. We stay connected. We abide. But in abiding, you allow his life and his power and his sustenance sustain you, lead you, guide you, empower you. Greater is he that's in you. Amen? So he will keep you from stumbling. Okay, now let me explain. Um, actually, we'll, we'll wait on that. We'll wait till we get to this blameless part. I got one more thing to say here. I like the, the image of a rock climber. That rock climber is connected to somebody at the top. And if you've seen these rock climbers who, who slip and fall and stumble, because the bottom line, he is able to keep us from stumbling, but we will stumble, right? We will. That, that just happens. Saints still sin. <laughs> Christ followers still stumble. Uh, uh, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and, and went down under, but what happened when he did? Jesus picked him up. Okay? And so I think this image is powerful because we are connected to the one at the top. And though this hiker, this, this rock climber, she may lose her footing and be dangling, but she doesn't fall to the ground because she's connected to the one at the top. You are connected to the one at the top if you're in Christ today. Amen? All right, now the next phrase. Oh, this is so good. To present you blameless folks 
Really? Think about this. To be presented before a holy and awesome and sovereign God blameless? I mean, go to the next phrase. Before the presence of His glory? In other words, you are standing before the glorious, holy, all-sovereign, almighty God of the universe. And it says you can be presented blameless? How in the world is that possible? That means you are pure. You're without fault. You are without any shame or condemnation. You are righteous in His sight. Is that possible, church? Yes. Is it because of your works? Is it because of religion? Is it because of performance? Is it because you try harder? Is it because you obey all these rules? It's only because of one thing and one thing only. The blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory. This is the only thing that can make us blameless. For Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. Justified means declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Your righteousness is not in you. It's not in your works. It's not in your religion. It's in Christ. And if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, he says you are righteous. You are blameless. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. And 1 Peter 2 says you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Hallelujah. So I want to explain to you, listen, very important, the difference between justification righteousness and blamelessness and sanctification righteousness or blamelessness, okay? So hang with me here, and hopefully we'll have a little time for Q&A if you have questions about this. Justification righteousness is what happens the moment you repent of your sins, you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, you are born again, John 3, you get a new nature, you get a new spirit, you become a new person. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. Your old nature is gone, your sin nature is gone, your old man is gone, you are new in Christ, you have a new spirit, new heart, new nature, and that is what is blameless before God. Is that clear? This cannot change. This cannot improve. It's as good as it ever gets because it's the righteousness of Jesus that you have if you're in Christ and Christ is in you. That is justification salvation. Okay? That seals your eternal destiny. That is what this is referring to. You are standing before the holy God of the universe, blameless because your sins were paid for by Jesus. You received that free gift and he gave you the righteousness of Christ. Now, sanctification salvation is that journey we're all on once you're saved. You're growing, you're maturing, you're becoming more like Jesus, you're advancing, you're abiding, you are seeking to be, to be experiencing here what you have here. But what you do here doesn't in any way add to what you have here. Rather, the more you focus on what you have here, the more you're going to be motivated and empowered to live a godly life here. Okay, now let me explain one more thing. This is why Christians, when they stand before God on Judgment Day, 
You are not judged for your sin, for that was judged by Jesus at the cross. You are judged for your works for the purpose of rewards, not punishment. Okay? Amen. And there are five crowns, and there's probably other rewards, but at least five crowns talking about. Read Randy Alcorn's book, The Law of Rewards. I've preached on this before, but just a summary real quick. Is that your judgment before God as a believer is on your works for the purpose of rewards, not punishment. You do not stand before God ever punished for your sins because that was dealt with by Jesus at the cross. And he said, it's finished. He didn't say it's halfway finished. He didn't say, well, with a, with a little help from you, then your sins can be taken care of. And oh, he definitely didn't say, oh, and you got to spend about a thousand years in purgatory to get it taken care of. Listen, purgatory is one of the most unbiblical, damning doctrines in all of the Catholic Church. Because purgatory says Jesus' work wasn't good enough. you got to pay for some of your sins by doing things in purgatory before you really get to heaven. That offends the cross and the blood of Jesus like you would not believe. Listen, he fully paid your sins. He fully took care of all of your unrighteousness. And when you receive him, you fully receive the righteousness of God and you are justified, accepted, and you'll stand before him blameless with great joy. Amen? So again, sanctification salvation, our journey with God, our growth in God, I have found personally, I believe it's biblical, that the more you focus on what you have here and who you are here, the more it will advance you in the sanctification blameless arena. Does that make sense? Because you'll want to live for the one who did all this for you. You'll want to please him. You'll want to abide in him. And if and when you stumble, man, you're going to want to get right back up. You're going to want to get right back up. Because you love him. Because he first loved you. Then we come to this interesting phrase. With great joy. You heard a great testimony on that today. Listen, when you grasp this <laughs> what does it result in joy and i define joy as jesus on me and jesus in me and jesus around me and jesus upon me the joy of the lord will be your strength the fruit of the spirit is love joy and peace now i believe this is referring to the joy that we will have when we stand before God, we'll just be overwhelmed with inexpressible glory. It's full of glory. Inexpressible joy that's full of glory. Inexpressible joy that's full of glory. But I also believe it, it transfers here. Because the more we walk with Him and experience that abiding relationship, we have the joy here in this arena. But now somebody asked me, could this refer to the joy God has in us coming to him on judgment day maybe i think i looked at it in the greek I, the joy modifies uh, it's closer to us being before him but hey maybe it's a both and because don't you know god who is the giver of joy he's a joyful god read my book uh, god does what i have a chapter the laughing god <laughs> he he laughs he has joy in you being his son and daughter he has joy. Remember, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How did he have joy when he was enduring the cross? Because he saw what was coming at the other end, and that is the redemption of his bride, the calling of his people. 
and how I must fill the heart of Jesus with joy, even amidst being flogged and beaten and crucified, because he saw that it was going to accomplish the buying of his people, the redemption of his bride. He was going to have a people forever. And so when you stand before him, he receives fullness of joy also in having you as his eternal son and daughter, dwelling with him forever. Hallelujah. Man, this is good, isn't it? All right. Then we come to the final verse. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Beloved, there's only one God. In three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That only God is Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. God is not a higher power. God is not Joseph Smith. God is not Mohammed or Buddha or Billy Graham, for they are all dead. But our God, Jesus, is alive. Hallelujah. Come on. Jesus said in John 10 and 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And here we see God referred to as Savior. This is a great verse from the deity of Christ. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Hello? Don't go to a church that teaches universalism. Oh, everybody's going to get to heaven. Oh, you really don't have to come through Jesus. That also hurts the heart of God, and it defames what Jesus did on the cross Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4 and 12 says, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. 1 Timothy 1 and 5 says, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the only way to salvation because his blood is the only thing sufficient to remove the sin barrier. No amount of good works, no amount of living up to rules, no amount of anything we do can remove our sin. One thing and one thing only. It's the blood of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Christ. That is the only thing, but it is the sufficient thing, and it's through Jesus that we are reconciled to God and made blameless in His sight. To The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here we have Savior and Lord. Jesus is both Savior of our sins and He's to be the Lord of our lives. Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? If He's not your Lord, I doubt He's your Savior. You don't receive Jesus to get your little ticket to heaven and then continue to live the way you want. You don't just pray a little prayer so you can check the box. Oh, now I'm going to heaven, but I can continue to live like the devil? No. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There must be a surrender. There must be repentance and faith. It's not just faith without repentance. Faith and repentance go together. You must have both. He comes to be your Savior from your sins and to be the Lord of your life. Now, yes, lordship is a progressive thing. We understand that. But there must be surrender. I see many false conversions in America today. 
They pray a little prayer, and they think, just raise my hand in a service, pray a little prayer, and that'll, that, that takes care of it. Well, if there's not been a surrender of the heart, I really doubt there's been true salvation. So you need to look at within your heart. You need to say, do I know for sure that I have repented and received Jesus as both Savior and Lord? Again, we understand sanctification takes time, but there must be a degree of surrender. And one of the ways you can tell if you're truly saved is when you sin, do you feel convicted? Do you feel a sense of the, like the Holy Spirit's been grieved and you want to quickly return? But if you find that you love your sin more than Jesus, then you may not be saved. I can't determine that. But if there's any doubt, I would say get it settled. Make sure you have surrendered. Make sure you've asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can enable you to abide in Christ and keep growing in that relationship. And he gives you his Holy Spirit to help you live for him. Now the final area. It says, to Jesus be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. The word glory means the, the fullness of the nature of God. When the glory came in the temple and they couldn't even stand to minister, it's because the full manifestation of God's presence and attributes were all on display. It's the word picture of a light shining in a dark room upon an object like a diamond so you see all of its brilliance. Jesus is the fullness of all of God's attributes. To Jesus be all glory, all the expression. If you want to know what God is like, just look to Jesus. He said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And then it says to him be majesty. Majesty is greatness. It, it, when we think of something being majestic, it's great. Jesus is great. He's superior. It says dominion. Dominion, the word here is kratos in the Greek. It means power. He performed mighty deeds. He has all glory, all majesty, all dominion. And it says also he has all authority. That means the right to rule, the right to reign. He is sovereign. He will bring all things under the, the ultimate counsel of his will. He'll bring all things to their final outcome according to that which has been prophesied thousands of years. You can't stop it. Putin can't stop it. The United States can't stop it. China can't stop it. Supreme Court doesn't alter any of this. Jesus reigns. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Hallelujah. And it also says that when he was being arrested, I love this, when Jesus was being arrested, he said in Matthew 26, I could call 12 legions of angels to come to my defense. That's a lot of angels. But he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. Because of you and me, he was willing to go to the cross. But he could have, because even in his humanity, he had all authority in heaven and on earth. Hallelujah. He is sovereign. He's the ultimate and final authority. He's the only one with authority to open the seal in Revelation 5. He's stronger than Satan. He's stronger than death. He's stronger than our flesh. He's the full person and expression of God. Philippians 2 says every knee will bow one day. Come on. Every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Even the demons of hell will one day bow the knee to Jesus. 
Now listen, you can submit to him and receive him and enjoy the benefits of a relationship with him. You can bow your knee now and get all the benefits of that, and he longs for you to do that. He awaits for you to do that. Or you can shake your fist in defiance, but you will one day bow. Even the most militant atheist who thinks he can explain away the existence of God, you will one day bow. You can bow now and be blessed, or you will be forced to bow then, but every knee will bow because Jesus Christ has ultimate authority, and he has all glory, all dominion, all majesty, all authority, and that's the one who lives in you. That's the one who will keep you. That's the one who presents you blameless. He's the one you can trust. He's the one you can walk with. He's the one you can abide in. He's the one you can fellowship with. And how long does this last? Look, 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 last phrase. Before all time, now and forever. Before all time means the past. It's before he even spoke the world into existence. Because it says in John 1, in the beginning. How far back is that? A long ways back. I don't know. But I know that it was in the beginning. He was there then, and then it says he's here now. He reigns now at the right hand of the throne of God. No matter what happens, no matter what issues and laws are passed today, he doesn't leave his throne. There may be times in your life when you think he's left his throne. There may be situations in your life when you think he's left his throne. There may be times when you question, you're confused, you're angry at God. That is acceptable as long as you don't quit abiding. In the Psalms, David struggled. He wrestled. God, why is my enemies prospering? It seems like you have forsaken me. So there will be times in our sanctification journey when it may appear that he's left his throne, but we know he hasn't. He reigns today. He's reigned in the past. And then look what it says, forever. Hallelujah. So this just, oh, this just points to God calling himself in Exodus. I'm the great. Mo, Moses said, who shall I say sent me? Who shall I say sent me when I go to Pharaoh? Tell him I am that I am that I am sent you. <laughs> well, he has been, he is, and he shall be. Hallelujah. Forever in the past, now in the present, and forever and ever. Amen. That's our great God. Folks, I hope you're encouraged today. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And if you're in Christ, you will be presented before his presence with great joy, blameless. Blameless. All because of this. All because of this. It's all because of him that we say to you, Jesus, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority. God, have authority in my life. I know you have authority over all out there, but have authority here. Have you said that to him? You willing to say that today? Have authority in my heart, Lord. Have authority in my marriage. Have authority in my family. Have authority at my job. Have authority in my thought life. Have authority in what I look at. Have authority in my hobbies. Have authority in my vacations. Have authority every single minute of every day. That's what he wants. And man, when you live that, then you get to experience joy, love, peace. You get to be used by God to help others. What could be better than that? All right, let's take some questions.
All right. David, when you were talking about salvation, you said bow down now and be blessed. Can you expound a little bit on that versus the prosperity gospel? Oh, thank you. He said that it, I, I said bow down now and be blessed and, and be sure I wasn't saying prosperity gospel. Absolutely, I wasn't saying prosperity gospel. When I say be blessed, I mean enjoy the, the, the benefits of abiding in Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. But I don't mean that if you submit to God, everything's going to go great. You're going to get a pay raise. You're going to be driving a, a, a Mercedes. That's what's called the prosperity gospel, where it's very, uh, uh, it's very uh, materialistic. It, it basically says, you know, we can always uh, have blessing in the sense of material and many times selfish things. So we, we realize, thank you for asking that, we realize that within this part of salvation, there is suffering, there is hardship, there is struggles and doubts and confusion and, and, and all that comes with the Romans 7 where Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. Who will set me free? So he's wrestling with that in Romans 7 and he was a great Christian. So yes, I'm not saying that you'll be blessed in the financial materialistic way. I have some friends that are, uh, they call themselves Christians, but yet they hold a political belief or to a party that supports everything that's non-Christian. Uh, is there an effective way to witness to these friends of mine? Or, I mean, yes. how would you address it? Two things. Obviously, prayer. Because if they're believing things that are clearly unbiblical, then who blinds the minds? the enemy. And this is a spiritual battle. A lot of these issues that we're dealing with today, let's not forget it's a spiritual battle. Satan and demons are real, and they seek to lead people astray. That's why Paul said in Timothy, the doctrine of demons. Okay? And so he was, he was saying that this idea, you know, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear, 2 Timothy 3. And he talks about doctrine of demons. So prayer, to come against the powers of darkness, to bind those spirits, to say as we saw earlier in Jude, speak to the enemy, the Lord rebuke you. Secondly, is as to the degree that they're receptive, Go back to the Word. Go back to what the Word says. Then You are not the authority. I am not the authority. I love to say to people, I didn't write this, folks. I didn't write this. It's his book, not mine. I'm just telling you what it says. And, and, if you, and so if it's something that's clearly in violation of Scripture, then you take them back to the Word. And you be patient. I mean, you, you have mercy on those who doubt. Okay? So be loving, be kind. Um, and to the degree that it's received, give it. If you try to push on another person and they're not receptive, you, I call it bruising the fruit. I'm going to get that apple off the tree, and I'm going to beat it off if I have to. Well, it may come off the tree, but it's bruised. God has to change the heart. God has to produce the fruit. We are vessels to share and witness and all that, but ultimately he has to do it. This goes with unbelievers, or it goes with believers who are believing unbiblical doctrines. So it's that balance. I say, I pray regularly, God, give me cut the baby and have wisdom. Solomon had the two women claim, claiming to be the mother of the child. He didn't know what to do. I just picture him going, God, what do I say? Oh, that's a great idea. Uh, cut the baby in half. Boom. It surfaced who the real mom was. 
And we need that kind of wisdom every day when we talk to people on some of these issues. God, give me that cut the baby in half wisdom. Good question. That's why my phone blew up last week during Q&A because all the transgender stuff started coming up and I'm getting all these texts. It took me two hours to answer all the questions last week. Um, it's, it's, these are tough issues. We are, we, are, um, we are living in incredible, let me say it, incredibly challenging and wonderful days. <laughs> we can get all intimidated and discouraged because of where things are headed or we can say, you know what, this is awesome. What a privilege to live today and stand on the truth and see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. You know, as the darkness gets darker, the brighter the light when it shines in. Hey, I told you guys about that guy that I met who said I've just started reading my Bible. Went back, saw him on Friday. We had an amazing discussion. It's so cool. Uh, I'm at this place buying fertilizer for my yard, and this guy goes, Hey, I heard you say you're a pastor. I've just started reading my Bible. Talk about God. So I went back this week, and he had all these questions. And so, man, I'm, I'm just believing God that he's going to come. So I get excited about these days because even though there's a lot to get discouraged about, there's a lot to be encouraged about. God Man. is moving. God is on the move. The revival at Asbury and other places, the Lord is upping his game. He's upping his game, and we get to be a part of it. I don't want to miss anything he'd have. How about you? It just makes me want to abide closer and be more filled with the Spirit. Okay, towards the beginning of the sermon, you talked about how the more we focus on God, the more we will grow. What scripture can you look to and read to focus on the Lord? 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next by His Spirit. As we behold the glory of God, that's focusing on Him. We are being transformed. You're not transformed by beholding your own faults and failures and all the things that you... You know, focus more on God than yourself, and you're going to grow more quickly. Come on, that'll go to the bank. Focus more on God, your salvation, who you are in Christ, rather than yourself, and you will see your growth go to a whole new level. All right, worship team, thank you. You guys are watching the clock better than me. Good, good job, you guys. All right, well, now guess what we get to do? This is awesome. We get to partake of the Lord's Supper. And what a beautiful picture this is of what we've learned today about God and our salvation. At the Passover, they used unleavened bread and we're using the matzah cracker. That's unleavened bread. There's so much beautiful symbolism here. Now, I believe communion is more than a symbol. I believe it's a participation in the body and blood of Christ. I can't explain that, but it's 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and I believe it. So I believe that we participate in the body and blood of Christ in some mysterious way when we partake. I really do. And I'm asking God to really manifest his presence to you today as you partake. But Jesus took probably a matzah-type unleavened bread on the, at the Last Supper with his disciples. And the beauty of this is so much that points to the gospel. Unleavened bread has no leaven, Leaven is always representative of sin in the Bible, and so it was without sin. And the sacrifice had to be without sin. Jesus was without sin. The sinless sacrifice, unleavened. He broke it. Now, Jesus' bones were not broken. We know that none of his bones were broken, but he, the broken of the bread 
showed that he was giving his life. He was going to lay down his life. He was going to die. Then if you look at a matzah, unleavened bread, there's stripes. By his stripes are we healed. He was whipped and flogged for us. And then you'll see the holes, the piercing of the nail through his hands and his feet. And furthermore, Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. So there's so much here that shows us the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of what we celebrate today. Now today, this table is if you just want to come and get the elements yourself like we normally do. But at the other four tables, we're doing it different today, there will be one of our elders to serve you. So if you go to one of those four tables, they will say, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then next to the elders will be some of our prayer people. If you'd like prayer before or after you partake, they're there to pray with you. I've also told them that if they feel they have a word for anybody, you have my blessing to give those words, just encouraging words if you feel led to to give a word to somebody. So those four tables are for that purpose. Again, if you're a parent and want your children to come back for communion, you're welcome to go get them now. 1 Corinthians 11. One of the things that I have seen in communion, listen real carefully to this, please. I find that some Christians don't take enough time to examine themselves just to make a fresh surrender and be sure their heart's right with God before they partake. But then other Christians almost overly (laughs) self-examine. I know there's a balance here, so listen closely. I know somebody specifically, and, and this person never takes communion because, and she's genuinely saved, but she never feels like she's worthy. And I want to say to her, you're not worthy, but you are in Jesus. You're not worthy of yourself. But if you partake, this is where your worthiness comes. And so she's overly self-examining and never feeling like she's good enough. Now, again, if God's convicting you of some known sin and you're not yielding that to him, yeah, you probably shouldn't partake. Or if you're at angst with another brother or sister in Christ. Remember Jesus said, first go and make that right, then come and offer your offering. So there is relational stuff that we need to be sure we're examining. If, if I've done something that hurt my wife this morning, I need to ask her to forgive me <laughs> before I come to the table. You get it? So there's a balance here. It's not like you so examine yourself and you always look at your shortcomings and you never feel worthy but at the same time you don't just come at this flippantly so there's a balance let me read the passage i received from the lord what i delivered to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant, come on, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. In other words, you proclaim the gospel until he comes back. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that would be like an unbeliever coming or somebody that has clearly got sin in their life and they're not dealing with it will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, really knowing what this is all about, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many who are weak 
That's why many who are weak and ill, and some have died. So again, this table, if you just want to get the elements yourself, the other four to be served by an elder, take time. we got plenty of time for this. Take advantage of the prayer team. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for all the great truths we've learned about you and ourselves today. Any good of us is because of you, so thank you for that. God, I pray today, right in this place, even through communion, John 16, the conviction of righteousness. Oh, God, would you give a conviction of our righteous standing before you today? We thank you that it's because of the body and blood of Jesus that all of that is possible. Holy Spirit, come. Move in this time as we participate in the body and blood of Jesus.